Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. What happened? Gonna be awake now? This is Life of the Law. I'm Audrey Quinn. I was on my way to get a sonogram for the baby. The minute I turned on my car, they told me to get out the car. They put the handcuffs on me and took me in. This is Diana. She asked us not to use her last name. She's 23, from Queens, New York. And in January 2013, she found herself in a jail cell at Rikers Island, seven months pregnant. They told me that I was under arrest because of what my boyfriend did. I practically knew what he was doing and I didn't confront anybody about it or tell anybody about it. Her boyfriend, the baby's father, he'd gone to jail 10 days earlier. He'd sold drugs to an undercover cop. The cop had come to their home, caught the whole sale on video. I was in my room minding my business when the officer came in and my boyfriend had called me and told me to pass him a bag that was in the room and that's where the drugs came out of so that's what I'm in the video doing <laughs> just giving the black bag. For that, Diana ended up in Rikers facing a felony charge as an accomplice to a drug deal. She says in jail, nobody would really tell her what was going on. At first it was like, you know, I couldn't sleep. Um, I was scared of, you know, maybe if I'm sleeping, somebody decides to come behind me and, you know, hurt me or something because I'm pregnant and they feel like I can't defend myself. It's, it's It was really hard. Did you get medical care? For, like, yeah. They would give me my pills, uh, my prenatal pills. If I were to get sick or whatever, they would take care of me. They had their nurses that would help us. They fed us. 
I mean, the schedule wasn't all that great and the food wasn't all that great. But I would sometimes not even eat because the food was so nasty. Um, but, you know, I was pregnant. I had to feed my son, so I had to force myself to eat. Diana found out later that pregnant women at Rikers, they get taken to a hospital to give birth. But she didn't know that while she was at the jail. I was just thinking the crazy things that would go on if I was to give birth in there. I just thought, you know, honestly, that they would take the baby away. And either a family member had to pick him up and take care of him or the system took him. I was really scared. I didn't. I didn't want my baby to be born in jail. Diana's story is more common than you might expect. 4% of women prisoners enter prison pregnant. That results in thousands of babies born in the correctional system each year. But as far as what to do with these babies or their moms, the U.S. doesn't have any national policy. In most prisons, moms have to give up their infants within a few hours of birth. But for some incarcerated moms, there is another option. In most European countries, women can keep their newborns in prison with them through preschool age. It was the same in the U.S. through the 1950s. They call it a prison nursery program. But by the 70s, most states had closed their prison nurseries. There are now just nine across the U.S. This is the sound of a prison nursery at Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. It's recorded by North Country Public Radio. It's a maximum security prison in upstate New York. Bedford Hills has the oldest prison nursery in the country. Moms in the program, there's about a dozen of them. They stay with their babies in a separate wing from the other prisoners. In the morning, moms go off to their prison jobs. Babies go to the nursery, like other kids go to daycare. The moms also get parenting classes. My name is Mary Byrne. I'm a professor at Columbia University School of Nursing in New York. In 1998, some teaching work brought Byrne to Bedford Hills. So I discovered the prison nursery and was given a tour of it. My question was, is this okay? Is this a good idea? Byrne wondered if kids could develop normally after starting life in a prison. She'd heard advocates say keeping a baby in prison could help the mother-child bond. But no one had really scientifically researched that. So she decided to study prison nursery moms and their kids. To me, the one I would liken it to, as I watch the mothers raise their infants in this setting, is that it was very much like working mothers on the outside. Women who are pregnant when they come to Bedford Hills, they can apply for the prison nursery. Only a few get in. The rest have to give up their babies while they serve out their sentences. The prison superintendent at Bedford Hills, she makes that decision, who gets in. She looks at the woman's history, what type of crime she's committed. Moms get to keep their babies in prison for a year, sometimes longer if they're getting out soon. A Department of Corrections study had found having a baby in a prison nursery, it makes a woman twice as likely to stay out of prison later. But Byrne wasn't so sure about these babies, so she followed 75 of them as they re-entered the community, and she's kept following most of those kids until they're eight years old. She compared their development to kids in the general population. So the children overall did very well. Um, the children are, for the most part, in their grade for their age level and doing well in school. And their parents send us pictures and report cards unbidden and letters and are really so very proud of their children's achievements. 
Byrne's most surprising finding has to do with something called attachment. There's a process that goes on through the first two years of a child's life related to being able to identify a primary caregiver, investing trust in that caregiver, and knowing that that caregiver will be there in times of fear or illness or loneliness. So the child can can wander away and try out new things, but has a secure base to return to and feel protected. Byrne interviewed moms in the nursery. She found most of them, they hadn't had this kind of secure attachment growing up. Then she tested the babies. There's this really complicated procedure for that. The mom and the baby go into a room. The mom comes and goes, a stranger comes and goes. And the researchers watch how the baby responds, how much the baby misses his mom, how stressed out he gets over the stranger, how much he plays with the toys in the room. There's this common idea researchers have about attachment. If you didn't have it growing up, you'll have a hard time giving it to your kids. But Byrne found 70% of these prison nursery babies, they form secure attachment with their moms. That's more than in the outside world. But despite these findings, prison nurseries are beyond rare. Once I counted up the number of spots in the entire United States, (laughs) um, I just summed up all the beds available in all the given state-level prison nurseries, and it was 135. So that's really not a number that is impressive at all. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, for all intents and purposes, a baby born to a mom in a U.S. prison is a baby that will not know their mom, maybe for a long while. Correctional facilities are supposed to be safe places where people have been convicted of crimes are safely confined and possibly receive some rehabilitative services. That's Georgia Lerner. She leads the Women's Prison Association in New York. She says we shouldn't be asking prisons to provide support for moms and babies. They are not really places that are supposed to be schools, medical hospitals, child care facilities. They were not designed to provide all of these services. And it's really, I mean, it's one of the reasons I think it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to send so many people to prison when there are so many issues that could be better addressed in the community where we already have schools, we already have healthcare facilities, we already have mental health providers. The Women's Prison Association started in the early 1800s. Back then, they had to make sure women got their own prisons apart from men. These days, they focus on keeping women out of prison when possible. They work with judges and prosecutors and pull out offenders who might benefit more from alternative programs than jail. This is where we get back to Diana. After seven weeks at Rikers, she got out on bail just before she gave birth. Her grandmother took her in at her apartment in Queens. Diana was still going back and forth to court. Well, they offered me, if I wasn't to plead guilty, they would give me three to five years in prison. If Diana did plead guilty, she could get into a drug recovery program instead of doing time. I later learned this happens to a lot of drug offenders, even non-addicts like Diana. 
then they brought the bad news that I had to leave the baby at home and I had to live in the program. It would be a residential program, and she didn't know how long she'd have to stay. But then the district attorney offered Diana a chance at the Women's Prison Association's program. They've convinced courts to try out more community-based alternatives to prison, programs that let women stay at home with their kids. The Women's Prison Association interviewed Diana to make sure she was a good fit, meaning that she was someone who might actually benefit from some guidance and that she wasn't a community threat. And that's where I sleep, and that's where he sleeps. I came out to meet Diana at her grandma's place in Queens. You take a bus from the subway to get there. But Diana, she insisted on picking me up from the station. She was the kind of driver who always lets other cars go first at the intersection. Her baby, he was five months old at this point. It's too bad he sounds like he's crying the whole time on tape, but really he was just trying to blab at me, smiling the whole time. Say hi. He's a little tired, so he's kind of cranky. Diana got into the alternative program, so she's home with her son. It lasts six to eight months. She'll meet with a counselor, also go to group sessions. Man, she's on probation. I'm starting the program today. I'm not too sure exactly what I have to do, but... Whatever it is, I'm willing to do it, you know. It's better than being in jail. So it's a big opportunity for me. Even though alternative to incarceration programs are expanding, more and more women are still going to prison. The U.S. now incarcerates six times as many women as it did 30 years ago. And really, when you're talking about women in prison, you're usually talking about moms. Here's Tamarcraft Stolar. Okay, so um, I'm the director of the Women in Prison Project at the Correctional Association of New York. They monitor what's going on in women's prisons. 70%, 75% of incarcerated women are mothers. The vast majority of those mothers are primary caregivers. There are lots of dads in prison, too. But when a woman goes to prison, it's way more likely to leave kids parentless. If you had to pick probably a, a defining legacy of the incarceration of women, it would really be the destruction of families. But what do you say to people who say these are criminals, they shouldn't be with their kids? Yeah. Well, you know, tell that to the young man who was wishing for his mom to come home every year he blew out the candles for his birthday. Say that to any child who loves their parent, even when they've done things that are wrong. Come on, get up. Wake up. He can sit on his own now, but he can't stand yet. See? I went back to see Diana Hi. again, two months into her alternative to incarceration program. What has changed in the past two months? Honestly, yeah, I thought it was just going to be about jail and drugs, but it's not, you know. It's, it's more so learning about yourself and listening to other stories, you know. So I really like group. I honestly wish it wouldn't even be over. Diana's support group meets every Friday. Her counselor comes to the house three times a week. She has another four to six months to go. The length depends on how the judge thinks she's doing. Her boyfriend, he got sentenced to nine years upstate. Diana and the baby visit him every couple of weeks, but her counselor's helping her move on as a single parent. She's still living at her grandma's place, but she's working on getting financially stable. She's applying for jobs in retail. Uh, just had an interview today, so we'll see how that goes. She's also thinking about going back to school, getting a degree. 
But for now, Diana says she just feels lucky to be with her son. It makes my day just go by faster and exciting, I guess. He doesn't really cry much. He's just a happy baby, so I guess I'm blessed. <laughs> for Life of the Law, I'm Audrey Quinn. Life of the Law is produced by Julia Barton, Caitlin Prest, Nancy Mullane, Elisa Roth, Shannon Heffernan, Jillian Weinberger, and Katie Barnett. Music by Kyle Kaplan. Our web editor is Mary Adkins. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundations, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. Thanks also to Making Contact, our fiscal sponsor. For more on this story and others on the law and the legal system, visit lifeofthelaw.org. Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvador and pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.